0: Well, we're back with poor old Bill. And uh, he has talked Tom and I into smoking cigars, so now the podcast has taken a drastic right turn, and we're just hanging out and smoking cigars, <laughs> so we're going to edit this sucker way down <laughs> once before it gets live, but cheers, excited Thanks. to be uh, virtually hanging out with you, Bill.
1: No doubt, Drew. Thanks for having me. I got to tell you, like I said, this is my first one. I think I failed miserably, but... I wanted to uh, get myself a little better educated on on this bourbon thing and just kind of hit me on a Sunday.
0: I think half half the fun of this podcast is I broadside everybody. (laughs) So everybody gets hit with, uh, wait, what? And then they start talking and then it becomes a little bit more fun you are legit with this look at that you got the beer nuts you got a whole thing do you got a little like a uh, cigar box you've cut a slit in to put the dollars in
1: oh yeah I got or do those that. go in
0: it. your g-string i got it
1: yeah i put them <laughs> both <laughs> wherever it depends depends on how many people are smoking
0: so i got a
2: question for you bill on your uh, bourbon tour did you guys go into lexington at all or just stay around louisville
1: No, you know, we didn't get down to to Lexington. We got close to it. Um, And and like I said, this was uh, all of our first bourbon uh, trail trips or whatever. John had actually been down there several times before for work, but never for bourbon tasting or or visiting. So we stayed right there in Louisville pretty much. uh, I don't know. We were like a stone's throw away from Angels End. You can see it out of our window. Uh, but we were pretty much down there on Whiskey Road. So the, the first day we headed uh, a little like southwest and, and headed down towards Loretto where Baker's Park is. And we worked our way back to uh, Willet Distillery. We drove by Heaven Hill Distillery. And then we stopped over
0: at the Jim Dean facility. That Willett place 50-day. looked really cool yeah it
1: was pretty cool there was a, a a family there that was over there having a picnic or whatever we kind of crashed their party just run over and take a picture or whatever but <laughs> we had a uh, we had a good time doing that on the first day then the second day we went to uh went to st patrick's day we went to uh woodford reserve and buffalo the, buffalo trace distillery which was really cool Learned a lot of good things. I mean, it just all that historic stuff and how long all that stuff's been there. It was uh, it was fantastic. Even, and I don't know if you guys know, heard of Buffalo Trace Distillery. I'm sure you guys have had. They have a, a great, just regular everyday bourbon. It's got the Buffalo on it or whatever, but they also do the, the WL Wellers and the Blanton's bourbon uh, bottles and things like that. But uh, we learned the story at the distillery there, how they got the name for it before the distillery was built. They were walking around when the people got there from France and they were trying to figure out a good location to build a distillery. And that the property that they were on was real close to the, uh, what is it, the Ohio River right there. And they wanted to be able to float their their, uh, juice down to uh, New Orleans or whatever. And they wanna always wanna be by some running water or whatever, cause the limestone water in Kentucky is like the premium thing that the one of the reasons why for the majority of the bourbon uh, distilled in Kentucky. But anyway, one of the they were telling us they got to this point where the the river narrowed real small and there was tracks in the in the mud there and the guy's like, Hey stop, man, there's 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 Buffalo Tracks here, you know, whatever. So, anyway, I forgot the entire story, but that's how they came up with the name for the distillery Buffalo Trace because they seen buffalo prints at the at the rivers cross, you know, crossing the river where it narrowed down real small. So that's how they came up with the name Buffalo Trace.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So
1: we did the uh, just real quick. We did the uh, Woodford Reserve and Buffalo Trace on. Uh, St. Patrick's Day, we went back to the the uh, hotel, went out for a nice dinner, and then the next day we did the uh, Stitzel and Weller, which is one of the real oldest distilleries that has been around there. Um, we went Stitzel Weller, Old Forester. We stopped by uh, Devin Williams, but we were we had to get over to Old Forester for our tour. So we couldn't have a drink there, and then right after we finished the old Forester tour, we had a rush walk on down about three quarters of a mile over to Angel's End to do that tour. So um, it was great, man! It was fantastic. I want to go back and do it again. Just kind of um, hit the areas or distilleries that we weren't able to get to uh, on this last trip.
0: What a uh, when you were going to each brewery or distillery? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have breweries on my mind when you went to each distillery was there anything that stood out where you were like wow I did not know that and then all of a sudden you know it was, it was one of those really cool learning moments
1: yeah I mean there was quite a few of them I mean you always hear about the the you know boiling the corn and the, the you know adding the sugar and the fermentation process and adding the the mass bill and all that stuff and there's a it's just every distillery has their own little unique way that they do it and what interested me most i guess is after the uh cooking the corn and doing the fermentation process they it goes into this other barrel and i it's something called like a beer mash or whatever so it's it's already been distilled, fermented, the sugar brought out all the alcohol now. It goes into this beer mash and it's at like, I don't know, ten percent alcohol. And it's kinda of like I, I they described it as a real nasty, just like beer tasting stuff. But there's no hops or things in it to give it the flavor and things. And so from that process there, they dump it into those big copper stills that you see. And what's bizarre is they have these little they pump it up towards the top and it drips down the still and it separates the the mash as it drops down it gets thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and then they vaporize the alcohol to get it up to the higher content and then take it over to the other uh the other holding tank or whatever And it was just kind of really bizarre to see these stills the copper stills that have been there for Ages. I mean, I don't know. There's a company called Vendome Copper uh, Supply, which is like right down the street from where our hotel was, or whatever. And they've they've been there since the inception of this bourbon distilling, distilling out there. And they've made all the copper stills and things for all these different distilleries. And it was just really cool to see all the historic and old equipment and and. Uh, you know some of the distilleries that still so well they took us through a warehouse where it was their old bottling uh warehouse and just to see some of the equipment that these guys used back in the late 1800s and early 1900s it was like so they're oh, still
0: using all the same equipment that they used back in the day
1: um some of them are using portions of it i mean a lot of the distilleries now are, or, 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 you know changing up, keeping the process the same, but obviously getting it to where it's more uh, productive and, and, and things like that? But yeah, some of the distilleries are losing, are using a lot of the older equipment. I'll send you a video, like for say, of uh old Forester distillery where they, they toast the barrels and they have they it's in this old old building from 1870 the brown foreman building it's old brick front house or whatever where their original distillery was and they have all this old equipment but then they have all this new stuff coming in for the bottling and the toasting of the barrels and things like that and um, they did a great job keeping the tradition and keeping a lot of the old stuff but then also implementing the new uh new equipment and, and, and things like that to boost production or whatever. So it, it was, it was badass. And that's one thing I wanted to tell you through the, the old Forester building is and the old Forester distillery is the one and only remaining distillery that was owned before during and after prohibition by the same family. So the, all the whole time,
0: guys, I mean that, through all of those decade pieces
1: through everything that that there's still the founding you know within the family the old forester is still independently owned and operated by the people that you know own that distillery before prohibition during prohibition and now to this date it's never been bought and sold and, and joined or or, or uh, You know, with another distillery or and things like that, so that's one of the reasons I thought you know that's pretty cool from Old Forester that they're the last remaining distillery that's uh, been around before prohibition. Well, what
0: a what a great bragging point they have. (laughs) So I got a question actually. How long does it take
2: a distillery once they start up to actually start making money? Because you have to age that stuff for so long.
1: Well. Well, that's a great question. I don't know if I have the answer for that, but we did learn a lot about the bourbon and the aging process, and why the aged bourbon tends to cost so much. For example, I got some these old Fort or uh, uh, orphan barrel bourbons, and most of them have been aged between eighteen and twenty-six years.
0: And just to pause there, what is an orphan? an orphan what would you call it an orphan age barrel oh,
1: this is a orphan barrel they come out of the Stitzel and weller distillery they are uh supposedly barrels that have been stored in an undisclosed location for a longer period of time and people they just came across them or bought them from somebody and they the the place the company that bought uh, Stitzel and Weller, which used to be owned by the Van Winkle family, the distillery that we we visited, they bottled this orphan barrel stuff. And so, the orphan barrel—it's owned by a company now called Diablo, and I think they own like all kinds of shit throughout the United States, as far as sodas and chips and all kinds of stuff. But the uh, the thing I learned about the aged bourbon. Try to get back to your question was every year that a bourbon ages at the in the rickhouse house at the distillery, the distillery pays taxes on 55 gallons of bourbon, and so that's fine for the first you know three, five, seven years. But once you start getting up to 12, 15, 20, 23 years, you got to realize that. Bourbon typically will evaporate at a percentage rate of like between two and five percent per year. So, a 55 gallon barrel 10 years from now is going to be possibly evaporated by like 27 percent or whatever. And so, each year you add on to that, you age that thing for 23 years, 55 gallons of bourbon you're going to be lucky to maybe get 20 22 out of it when you go to open it up and so the distilleries have to pay taxes every year on the bourbon but they're paying it on 55 gallons every year and so that's what increases the premium on the cost of the aged bourbon Um, so back to your your question there as far as how long does it take them to get to where they're competitive or, or cost effective I, I don't really know to be honest with you I mean I could not even begin to imagine uh, you know what their price point or how long it's going to take them to, to
2: I was going to say the- you've got to have some money behind you in order to be able to start this and wait and make sure yeah. it turns out good too
1: Well, for sure, I mean, you know, for sure, you got to have a good master distiller that knows their mash bill and knows or thinks that they have something uh, that's, you know, a good quality or whatever. Part of the part of the mash bill and the fermentation process, there's a certain yeast that the family or the distiller keeps. He has his own little recipe for this yeast like bread. That shit's not added. That thing's not going to come out the same as, per se, if somebody changed up the yeast or whatever. So um, there's a there's a there's a whole lot to it. Um, I got to tell you, Drew. Me and your dad were out in the garage smoking a, a Pappy Man Winkle Flying Pig at the hotel, and there was a uh, a handicap guy that we used to, we'd see every morning down having breakfast or out rolling around the hotel there before we'd leave for the distilleries and uh (laughs) he came out to the parking garage and we were out having a cigar he bought a more little flavorful type of smoke and uh offered it up and we're like no 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 we're good with the cigar or whatever (laughs) He, he he started talking and uh uh his wife worked at the hospital or whatever so they were just living at the hotel but anyway he said, "Hey, I'm waiting for my buddy to come down here. He's going to come down and take have a couple toasts or whatever." And then, all right, and we're down there drinking and all that. And he comes down and we start bullshitting with him. And he gives me a—he's uh, um, seen our poor old Bill's bourbon shirts. He's all, "You guys like bourbon? This and that, blah blah blah." He's all, "Hey, up the street here at uh, old old Carter, they're having a." The, uh, a uh, release tomorrow morning a single barrel. It's gonna cost three hundred and fifty dollars a bottle. Um, but they're releasing it. And I'm like, no shit, how do you know? And we're like, get us a can you get us a bottle now? And he gave me his card. He was one of the master distillers at Old Carter.
0: No way. And, uh,
1: you know, then he's then he made the fatal mistake of starting the debate with John Bashar. <laughs> We, we, we wanted to buy a couple of bottles off of that night. Like, dude, I can't, man. I'll get fired, this and that. I got to sell it in the morning or whatever. And then he goes, look, you guys give me 700 bucks. Come down tomorrow morning and you can pick up your bourbon. And and I had the guy's card. And like I told your dad, I, go, I got pretty good intuition. Not always right, but thinking, yeah, this just this guy seems legit, man. Like, he, he knows his shit and all that, but who's going to hand some guy a, a $700 cash and smoking a joint down in <laughs> the basement of the, the Marriott in Bradison? So um, the guy was just kind of, hey, you know what? You guys don't fucking believe me? Let's go. Let's walk down the street. He pulls out his keys. I got the key of the distillery right here. Oh, and then I think that... And then, so, him and your dad took off down the street, and I'm like... That eh, might not be a good idea. You might get into a building that's not the distillery. So <laughs> I I went out of the sidewalk. I said, hey, John. And, and this guy said, you know what? Forget it. We'll just go in the morning. So they had came back or whatever. Um, And anyway, in that thing, the next morning, I walked down there with a hot cup of coffee. Got down there. And I'm thinking, fuck, what are those all those people outside? There was like... Probably 40, 50 people standing in line at uh, Old Carter Distillery. And everybody's like, oh, man, man, this shit, you, for three fifty, this stuff is going to be the bomb. Like, this is going to be one of the best single-barrel bourbons out there or whatever. And so my dumb ass, I'm standing in line there. It's on the day we're going to fly back home at 9 in the morning. <laughs> I didn't realize it's in, it's in Kentucky. I'm drinking a, a cup of coffee and my poor old Bill's little thin sweatshirt and jeans and then I'm like, fuck it's cold out here, man. And then I finish my coffee and I forget like at work. Every time I finish my first cup of coffee, it's like, Okay, I gotta make a little run over the boys' room there. So I'm standing in the line to get bourbon. And then next thing you know, I start, oh shit. I I I gotta get back to the hotel and I'm like getting the sweats. That that's three quarter mile walk there and I'm like, oh, I gotta stand in line. No, I gotta walk. No, I can't go oh shit, I gotta go. So I just oh, I tailed I, I it back to the to the hotel there, took care of business, grabbed another cup of coffee, then I grabbed some eggs and shit down at the uh, little breakfast place they had. Then me and Kelly walked back down there by the time I went back down there it was like fucking three hundred people in line. Oh no. And I'm just like, ah fuck it. I, it's not gonna make it. So anyway, we walked into the front of the thing. They were had the door open. They were selling the bottles. And uh I seen that dude there, Jim, in the inside of him. hey and he waved and he kinda like was looking with his eyes like, Look, dude, I'll get fucking shot if I pull a couple bottles out for you. It was one per person, but he was looking like, Look, dude, I gotta do the people in line here or whatever to and then we had to get in the car and go to the airport or whatever, but it was, it, you know, it was just a fantastic experience just seeing all the historic shit and just fuck, I would, I want to go again. Drew, we gotta go, man.
0: Oh, you know, I hate we, to tell you this, Bill. We
1: I, I almost,
0: go. I almost feel like I, I shouldn't tell you this, but yeah,
1: you need to tell me. I, I gotta can't
0: go. drink bourbon. Well. Every can, time I do, I get just the craziest heartburn I've ever had in my entire life. That's well,
1: then eat more Roll-Aids,
0: dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can hang with you. No, Every, what do you mean? Oh, my gosh. So I'm going to tell the story. Dude, that's like
2: trying to smoke pot with 311. Like, you're just I, no, not going to hang out here. I'm going to
0: tell Tom the story because he needs to know. So Bill went to Las Vegas for the Mopars at the Strip which is a big oh. car show in is Las Vegas. Is this the one you want Travis on? Yeah, no, different one. Oh. Um, but really big car show in Las Vegas. And it, it's a big deal because everybody's down there. Everybody uh, brings their you know, top car down there. There's awards that are you know, for different classes and all of that. But they also have drag racing. So you can bring your classic car down and go to the Las Vegas drag strip, the actual drag racing drag strip right. and drive it down uh, and, and try and hit, all you know, right. quarter times. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> So we we all go down there and uh, I think was it was it one of my dad's cars was featured in the cannery or one of my was it my truck? No. My truck was the year prior. It was, I think it was the Barracuda was featured in the cannery.
1: It was Barracuda.
0: So anyway, one of uh, our good friends, Paul, he was one of the photographers and writers for a very prolific uh, classic car in Mopar. And uh, he lived in Indy. And anyway, he flew out and we all went down there and we're all hanging out. We met Bill down there. And it's kind of one of those you're drinking all day scenarios and then you get to the cannery and they have live music. I want to say it was like a classic rock mosh, mashing of, of different classic rock. I think one of the Van Zant's was there. Um, you know, the lead singer Toto was singing or something. I don't know. But they were playing, the whole cannery was alive and... Uh, I was feeling pretty, I was feeling pretty drunk. And I look over to Bill and Paul walks up and Paul has a handle of Jack. And he looks right at Bill and he's like, you're still game, right? And Bill's like, yeah, (laughs) you know I am. And I was not. (laughs) I took, like, two pulls and was like, oh, I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> you like, I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> and by this time, everybody else went to bed, specifically for a reason, though. Because everybody went to bed, because we all had to wake up early and, and prep the car and get it ready to go down the drag strip. Right.
1: Help John's dad. Yeah,
0: help, help my dad get down the drag strip, which is, it, it's a lot of work. Like, loading it into the trailer, unloading it from the trailer, like, getting into the staging area. It's, it's a lot of work. Right. So, <laughs> I, I mean at some point I wandered off and then wandered back and the bottle was half and then wandered off and then wandered back and the bottle was a you know, third gone and then wandered off and wandered back and Bill was still standing and, and looking like a pro and we went up to the hotel room and went to sleep and yeah the next morning was rough <laughs> I think he answered the, the door with one eye open <laughs> Your dad, John
2: Oh,
0: bloodshot Go ahead. Drew. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, you were looking haggard the next morning, but we uh, we could talk about your your nickname being Wooden Leg because I've never seen anybody put it away like Bill. That's his. That's your superpower, man. <laughs>
1: hey, that's the mojo, man. You know, got to keep yourself rolling.
2: I was going to say, I actually went to uh, Lexington last year uh, for business. And, Matt, there was distilleries all over. In fact, I called Drew. I'm like, hey. I'm like, do you want me to bring you back anything? He's like, no, I'm good, man. And there was Pappy Van Winkle right there. But I was talking to a bartender there. And he goes, it is impossible, even for us locally, to get any Pappy Van Winkle for the bar. They do not sell that to, like, any bars locally because it's oh, so yeah. tough to come come by.
1: Yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a hot commodity, man. You can't touch it. I mean, there's just – even out here, especially out here, you know, what I find kind of ironic is, is a lot of the bourbons and things that we've seen out in um, Whiskey Row there and even at the distilleries and shit, I can – Get it, the majority of them, cheaper here in California than they were selling them there in, in Kentucky for.
2: Well, the thing that really threw me is I was in Lexington's airport, which is tiny, and they had an entire bourbon shop, like an entire bourbon shop just there in the airport. What really threw me is they actually had
0: some Utah distillery bourbons there. Well, you and Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't call it a bourbon unless it's been in... Kentucky, right? No,
1: that's what I used to think as well. And the rule on that is, is it has to be distilled in America, in the United States.
0: Oh, okay.
1: What we were told during our tour is, is every state in the United States has a bourbon distillery at it, except for. Hawaii.
0: Why, why Hawaii? Why can't they?
1: Well, it's not that they can't. I think it's. Remember, we were talking about why bourbon was done in Kentucky and just with the, uh, the 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 spectrum of the kind of like I guess in Utah and all that shit, the cold weather and the hot weather and stuff right. like that. Right. Right. They want that that uh, expansion, the cold, the expansion and contraction on that barrel. To help release the flavor profiles out of the drum, and so in the you know they even talked about. Matter of fact, I stumped one of the guys at the Buffalo Trace Distillery because Colonel E. H. Taylor. They have a very great single barrel bourbon, which is uh, fantastic. This is a small batch one. You guys might have seen it before. Oh, but wow. Each, each Taylor makes a nice bottle or whatever. And so it's got a picture of Colonel Taylor on the side and, and all that stuff. But they have some special bottles. They have a each Taylor and they have one that's called swinging door. And so the significance about that bottle is, is depending on where the, the barrel is located in the rickhouse which typically the higher up in the rick house, the more evaporation there is. And, and be,
0: hold on, what is a what is a rick house?
1: Uh, the rick house is the uh, rick house or a rack house or a warehouse where they store the where they age the bourbon barrels. So, what they will do is just they they look like it looks like an old jail or penitentiary building, they're just like these huge buildings or warehouses and there's this 55 gallon barrels of bourbon just stacked throughout that whole facility um, aging and so typically depending on how the the, the building if it's north north south facing or east south facing which side gets more sun which side doesn't they have some windows in there and so uh, a certain Rick House will be, you know, facing uh, uh, east and west, and so the the south side with all the windows. There's certain barrels that will get sunlight during, like, per se, the winter or early spring that the rest of the barrels won't get. And so, when I asked the guy at Buffalo Trace, I said, "Hey, they have a, a Colonel E. H. Taylor bottle, but it's called Swinging Door." And the, the, the significance about that bottle was it was in a, 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 a warehouse called Warehouse C and it was the, the barrels for that swinging door bottle were right in front of a, a door that the hinges were broken on the door and the thing would swing open and close in the wind in the winter and the summer. And they just left it. They're just like, fuck it. We can't fix all these doors and shit. And, you know, whatever. They just left this thing swinging open and closing. And when the wind comes. And, and, you know, the door would open. The sunlight would hit it for a lot longer period of time versus with the door shut, obviously. And it changed the flavoring of the barrel. So it got a lot more sunlight and warmth. But the temperature was a lot warmer. And when they bottled it, they was like... Where did this shit come from? What barrel and what was this from? And they found out the location of it. So that's why they called that batch. It was called "Swinging Door. The door was broken. And it gave it this own flavor profile that they had never had before. But it just brought out more flavors out of the, out of the wood, the barrel, the sugars, and the caramelization. And it just made like a fantastic bottle. I've never had it because I can't find one. It's probably who knows how much it would be if you could find it at the store. But so um, that's
0: that's your unicorn right now? No,
1: I don't have a swinging door. My unicorn right now is the uh, the Pappy Van Winkle. And then, like I said, I got much the whole collection of uh, uh, orphan barrels. I got Misha uh, Craig presidential bottles, twenty-three year old, which are really 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 good bourbons or whatever i haven't cracked those yet either but when i went on that tour they said look don't save your bourbon because it's meant to be drank and then the more i uh, as time goes by here i'm like fuck i'd hate them until to leave this call for ricky and todd i gotta start drinking
0: yeah <laughs> absolutely and what do you mean ricky and todd i mean you could also write me in there too you know
1: yeah, well, exactly, but you just, you're just you not a big bourbon guy. I'll leave you the, the, the I guess, the, the flavored whiskey and shit like that.
0: But no, <laughs> I, 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 I can't I, do that either, man. I can't do anything with, with flavors. I, I can't stand, like, if it has, uh, uh, whatever, you, What's mean, really like, f- apple or... Oh, yeah. I can't do that kind of stuff. What's
2: really funny is me and Drew used to have a boss, and... In Utah, it's a little bit different when you try and get Pappy Van Winkle. It's basically first come, first serve. Mm. And, right. And so what they do... Well, it's also a lottery. You have to, you have I to thought put it, your name in, too. See, because when, when our former boss was talking about it, basically what he did was he said just keep watching the uh, inventories, and that's how he got them. No, so... It is a lottery. Then here, Absolutely, two.
0: yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's something I put my name in a couple times for. You have to... It's first come, first serve for the lottery. For the lottery. So you have to... Then like, how the hell did he <laughs> it, always pull one? It is... It, it's hard to do out here, but um, we regulate the price. That's another reason why Utah is both like, it sucks, but it's also good, is because you'll never get upcharged on any alcohol. Oh. Whatever the cost is, that's the cost. Oh, There's I'm no... Kidding. You know... yeah. Adding to the cost because of well, do you remember him talking about that. that though? Yeah, but it's it's yeah. uh, you put your it's first come first serve for yeah. the lottery. Then you're in the lottery, and then it. Well,
2: because he would buy like, do you remember him talking about it? He'd buy like two or three bottles, keep one, and then sell the other two.
0: But he also said that he went out of state to buy those bottles. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, here in Utah, it's, no. it's hard. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now. Drew, your dad. Can't you guys go up the street there to the hamburger place over by the U there? And your dad says they have it there all the time.
0: They do. Yeah. So the Cotton Bottom, Cotton, Cotton Bottom has bottom. it. Yep. So the Cotton Bottom now has Pappy Van Winkle, and I think it's like it's like fifty bucks, seventy five dollars a shot. shot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that that is not cheap for an ounce of it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's something
0: else. I don't know. You know, that would be something to, to figure out. We should take go a journey and to the cotton up. bottom and, yeah. and figure out how to get some. Uh, I will have pappies. your
2: <laughs> I will have your garlic burger and a shot of happy van winkle's.
0: <laughs> and huh. uh, however, I can uh, put that on a loan or a, a payment plan.
2: <laughs> You're gonna be like hey, Robin gonna... Williams in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, just put that on my tab. You're gonna pay that off now. <laughs>
1: Hey, Drew, next time we're out there, you drive me there. I'll get you guys a shot.
0: Uh-oh. We're going to hold you to that now. Looks like Tom's going to be driving, too. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll buy your burger. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, you got it, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, what are you thinking about that Richard Petty, christening?
0: I'm thinking that needs to happen, and, and I know that uh, you guys are coming out in May. So I know, I th-
1: but you're going to be for that.
0: I know, but I I think that could be saved. Really? Yeah, I want to hey. ha- okay. have you there. I want to have I want to have you there. I want to have the Superbird there. I want it to be a whole thing. I'll play the the Richard Petty vinyl. I'll actually crack that seal on the Richard Penny vi- Richard Petty vinyl and put All it right. on and play it.
1: Well, well, let's let's plan on that, and we'll, we'll we'll drink whatever we can or whatever. But let's christen the bottle. We'll break it, and I'll get you another one. They're easy to get out here.
0: It so. sounds like it's a, a cool
1: ass bottle, though.
0: It is a cool bottle. I mean, he was a cool guy, so of course he has yeah. to have a cool bottle. If well, if any know. of the listeners have not seen or heard of Richard Petty, you need to look him up. He's a he's a big deal in NASCAR, but he's also the coolest dude. <laughs> yeah, Just no in general. Now,
1: now, now, I don't know if your pops ever told you the story, but we had done a couple uh, NASCAR runs down with his friends and, and, and stuff, and actually, Brandon was there, and we had went down to uh, Texas Motor Speedway, and uh, we're going to go to the NAS. We went to the NASCAR race there, and so Pat. Pat wood was there to, to, to guide us around and, and things like that. So we were down in the infield with our hot passes, cruising around, meeting all the drivers and walking in the, the you know the areas where they prep the cars and shit. And that we passed uh, by Richard Petty Racing. Pat's all. Hey, let's go see if uh, Richard's in his motorhome. So look at this motorhome, and I'm like, oh, that's a looked like a semi or whatever. It's got like 80-inch TVs on the side of it and refrigerators and barbecues and shit. And Pat goes up to the thing and just starts rapping on the door, like like beating on the door or whatever. And he's like, hey, Richard, are you in there? And and, uh, we're standing there going, this guy lost his mind? I mean, what, Richard Petty's in there or whatever? Next thing you know, the door opens, and there's Richard Petty and his blue jeans and his big belt buckle and he's got his cowboy hat on and he's eating a hot dog and he's got his own the hot dog like a drumstick ice cream and he's all he's all god damn it pat if you beat on my motorhome like that again i'm gonna kick your ass or something like that and it's like they they gave each other a hug and all this stuff and he he walked out eating his hot dog or whatever and it was just the funniest fucking thing i've ever seen cuz i i was thinking just like no richard petty's not in there and no richard petty's not going to come out and he walks out holding a freaking hot dog he's eating <laughs> and uh it was just it was really cool and he was probably the coolest guy i mean we only spent probably i don't know 3 4 5 minutes with him or whatever outside cuz he had shit going but it was just uh, a really uh, unique experience seeing him walk out of the home eating a hot dog, and he's all, Pat, I'm going to beat you in the head with this hot dog. <laughs> it was just, it was really cool. But back to your point, yeah, he, Richard Petty, was, uh, he was an awesome dude or whatever. Just I was just thrilled just to, to see him and take a picture with him, man. It was badass. That's so, awesome.
0: No, that's why I feel <laughs> bad about breaking that bottle. <laughs> well
1: like i said we gotta we, we gotta christmas do it right i think the theme is right for the location and the names and the the little historic event with you have the car over there and all that i think that would be a a little cool deal i was gonna surprise him with a housewarming gift but i'm like no nah, i'm just gonna tell drew i got him this thing because when your dad was out here he's like I go, yeah, hey, I'm going to get one of those for Drew because I had one up on my shelf. And uh, he goes, oh, fuck, he would love that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Absolutely. That's going to be awesome. That was the one-ounce pour with Bill Burlingame. <laughs>